Oh, what did I get myself into this time? I told you guys that if you guys sent me a whole bunch of questions, that I would have two Q&A lessons this month. And sure enough, you guys sent in plenty of questions. So today, a very special Q&A lesson on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Saturday, April the 26th, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. As I said at the beginning, uh, we are having a very special Q&A lesson today. I told you guys in our last Q&A lesson that if you guys sent in enough questions that I would do more than one Q&A lesson this month, and you guys answered by sending me in a lot of questions. So I thought, well, let's go ahead and do it this week since I missed our Romans lesson this past Monday. And again, if you didn't listen on Wednesday, what happened is Monday, I was trying to get my house ready to sell uh, all day. I was up until like three in the morning trying to get my house ready to sell. And so honestly, I just didn't have time to do the lesson. But anyway, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to do it. We are going to continue this coming Monday, but I thought I'd make up for it by having a lesson today. And joining us today, actually, is going to be my wife, Christina. She's going to be reading the questions for us, and uh, I just wanted to get her a little bit involved and have some fun with that. But anyway... Uh, Thank you guys for sending in all of your questions, and again, if you have any questions, you can always email them to me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, and I am always trying to help you guys, you know, make sense of your faith and get some answers that you guys are looking for. So, anyway, without any further ado, we've got a lot of questions today that I want to cover. So, Christina, what is our first question? My first question is, what's up with all the silly sound effects? Well, um, can I just plead silliness? Uh... Okay, well, anyway, yeah, I think I was just kind of in a silly mood. But let's go ahead and start with the first question from a listener. Okay, our first question today comes from Leslie. Leslie writes, I'm not finding a verse in the Bible that mentions the age of accountability. Growing up with a Christian background, I remember hearing that children under a certain age will not be held responsible for their sin nature that we are all born into. I've talked to several people that believe that God will judge and condemn babies and young children if they haven't made a decision and a declaration of salvation through Jesus Christ. This just doesn't sound right to me, yet I can't find scripture that mentions this issue. Frankly, I just don't see God being just and full of grace and mercy, condemning babies and young children to hell because they weren't old enough to grasp the concept of salvation. Perhaps you can direct me to scripture that will shed some light on this issue so I can better explain to others. Otherwise, I have no defense for a just and loving, merciful God to those who believe he will condemn such young souls. Well, that's an excellent question, Leslie, and thank you so much for sending that in. I do appreciate it. And thank you, Christina, for being my designated reader today. Anyway, the question boils down to whether or not uh, the Bible or Scripture teaches us that there is an age of accountability, moral accountability. And of course, if you look up the word accountability in a concordance, you know, like at the back of your Bible, or if you have, you know, an actual concordance, your search is going to come up empty because that particular word or the phrase age of accountability actually isn't found in Scripture. But that doesn't mean that Scripture doesn't teach that there is an age of accountability, but we're going to get to that in just a second. So let me start by saying that God is perfectly righteous, God is perfectly just, and therefore, uh, God is 
incapable of injustice or or doing something unjust. So it's impossible for God to carry out an injustice since it's contrary to his unchanging nature. In Matthew chapter 24 verse 14, Jesus teaches that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And those who are condemned to eternal separation from God's love, and that's you know what hell is, will have no excuse then because everybody who's in hell uh, who didn't accept the gift of salvation as offered through the gospel could have heard it because, you know, God has promised that he will reward those who seek him in faith. And that's Hebrews 11 uh, verse 6. So because God is present in all places and all times and knows the past, present, and future in one eternal now, you know, there's no before and after for God. He knows that nobody who goes to hell would have received or accepted the gospel if they had only had the right opportunity. So it's important to note that faith is, uh, you know, a necessary condition for receiving the free gift of salvation under normal circumstances. But what about children or adults who are mentally incapable of understanding or receiving the gospel and accepting Jesus as their savior? Well, a lot of hyper-Calvinists, and that's a word that we're going to come back to and define later, but just for now, bear with me. Um, A lot of hyper-Calvinists will tell you that uh, nobody is innocent. You know, Psalm chapter 51 verse 5 tells us that children are sinful upon their conception, and Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us that the entire human race sinned in Adam. So, according to many hyper-Calvinists, children will not get into heaven simply because they're innocent, because they do have the sinful uh, human nature in them from the moment that they were uh, conceived. And some will say that God, you know, saves only uh, only babies, children, etc., whom he foreknew would choose to believe in him. Well, God knows all things uh, that are both real and potential, and Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says that he foreknew those referred to as the elect, and keep that term in mind because we're going to be coming back to it later. However, I reject this position because, first of all, God's foreknowledge is in accord with human freedom, according to First Peter chapter 1 verse 2. But more importantly, I reject this position because there's no scriptural basis for it. That is, there are no verses which explicitly say that some children are born to follow him and some are not. Further, uh, you know, all people have potential faith by which they can be saved, and we know that God judges on actual or realized faith, not on potential faith. The fact that they could potentially believe in the future uh, means nothing, because everybody has potential faith. Um, Anyway, turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1, verse 39. And the context of this is the adult generation of Israel has fallen away from God. They've they've strayed while they were out in the wilderness, and God has told Moses to tell the nation of Israel that because they lacked faith in him, they will not enter the promised land. But then God says, and this is Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39, quote, the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from evil. They will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 15 teaches us uh, basically the same thing. When Isaiah refers to children before they know enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. In other words, they're saved because they are morally ignorant. Um, you know, they, they don't know the difference between good and evil. Jesus taught the same thing in John chapter 9, verse 41, when he taught that, quote, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. 
but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And finally, Revelation chapter 20 verses 12 and 13 tells us that God's condemnation is based not on the fact that a person has a sinful nature, but on the evil that a person freely chooses to do in this life. Not what was potential, but what was actual. Again, and you know, let's not forget that David's infant son went to heaven. The son that he uh, conceived with Bathsheba, uh, you know, we read in Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, that his infant son went to heaven. So, you know, in conclusion, I think it's, it's undeniable that the Bible does indeed teach that there is an age of moral culpability or moral accountability. And this applies to both children and adults who are maybe mentally disabled to the point that they're unable to make a moral decision. So, again, that's an excellent question, and thank you for sending that in, Leslie. I appreciate it, and God bless you. Thank you for listening. Let's go ahead and go on to our next question. Christina? Our next question comes from Scott, who writes, How does God feel toward marijuana? My non-Christian friends sometimes use the drug and always give me the natural herb that grows in the ground answer when they ask me to join in. This is a problem for me, since I feel it is wrong, but I don't quite know how to answer them to explain myself. I was thinking the drug would have a little to do with the land being cursed and therefore cursed matter for us to sin with, but I am unsure and unable to come back with a straightforward answer to them. All right. Well, I mean, that's a question that we've never uh, we've never touched on before. We've never had anything like this question before. So, Scott, thank you. That's a, a really good question, and I'm glad you bring that up. And actually, you know, to be honest, uh, I can't believe this argument is still around. You know, I remember a, a guy I knew who professed to be a Christian, and this was in ninth grade. I was in ninth grade. This was over 20 years ago. Anyway, this guy used to use the the same reasoning for smoking weed. You know, he'd say, you know, it's all natural and it's unprocessed, so obviously God gave it to us to enjoy. So yeah, you know, I've I've heard this one before. Uh, I didn't know how to respond at the time, but honestly, I I wasn't a Christian and I I really didn't care. It didn't didn't bother me. But you know, honestly, the Bible never mentions marijuana. And I'm sure that Christians who light up are going to be quick to point that one out. However, and you had to know that there was going to be a however here from me anyway. Uh, So however, that doesn't mean that the Bible never says anything about it. In Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21, we read, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, did you catch what that verse had to say about marijuana? Did you catch the the marijuana reference in there? Well, probably not, unless you were reading this in Greek and knew the Greek language. And uh, so anyway, that, that word that we translate as sorcery in that verse is the Greek word pharmakeia, which is the word from which we derive the English word pharmacy. So, you see, sorcery often involved, uh, you know, seeing things that aren't there, hallucinating, or using substances to alter one's uh, consciousness or their mental state of being. So, what this word is referring to is the use of mind-altering substances. And I think we can all agree that marijuana is a mind-altering substance. But, you know, 
praise God that he didn't just, you know, list off specific drugs that were being used at the time that we shouldn't take, but used a more general term to cover any and all mind-altering substances. But, you know, let's go ahead and look at this argument logically as well, you know, which uh, you would also probably expect from me or should have expected from me. But, um, you know, my argument would be this. Should we consume something just because it's natural? You know, maybe the next time your friends ask you to light up with them because the wacky tobacco is a natural substance, you know, maybe you should offer them some poison berries. No, don't really do that. I'm just kidding. But, you know, hopefully you catch my drift here. You know, if we should take marijuana because it's natural, then we should just as readily consume poisonous berries, which are also natural. Or maybe your friends should be willing to drink bacteria-infested water out of a stream if they want to stay away from what is filtered and processed as substances. You know, and, and I could go on and on. But the point is that we know that nature is filled with things that we shouldn't consume. Uh, just because something is natural doesn't mean that we should use it. And if they're going to believe that, uh, you know, you've got an endless list of things in nature that are poison that you can offer them uh, as well. So if they're going to use that argument, it's really a double-edged sword. It holds no ground. It doesn't work, logically speaking. And obviously, the Bible does speak of it in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. But good question, Scott. Thank you for sending that in, and I hope that's helpful. Let's go ahead and move on to our next question. Christina? Okay, our next question. Rachel writes, I just found out today that the City High School is having a day of silence to promote gay rights. I heard about it on a podcast this week. I'm in the 8th grade, so it doesn't affect me, but I just thought I'd tell you. I have a question. Everyone is saying how soon the rapture is going to be. Well, not really soon, but like 20 years. Well, I'm only in 8th grade, and I have never dated or anything. I want to be a teacher. I want kids, and I want to fall in love and get married. And I want to be a happy senior citizen with grandchildren. Not in that exact order, but still, I was wondering if you think heaven is somewhat like earth where you can do all this. Not that I'm not happy with my current life, and I'm in no rush to grow up, but I still don't want to miss out on all of this. I was just wondering. Also, I really like the gay podcast. I have a friend who swears gayness is genetic. My mom says it couldn't be because why would God make people so they were born to be an automatic sinner? If God forbids it, then why would he make people do it? Well, first of all, Rachel, I want you to know that I really appreciate you taking the time to write. I appreciate the effort. And I actually tried to email you back, Rachel, but the, the email bounced back. So um, for some reason, it didn't get to you. But I'm glad that you liked the homosexual study uh, where we've got one lesson to go. And I hope you tune into that as well. And I hope you like uh, you know what we have to come in that study. I do know about the Day of Silence, and that's actually one of the reasons that I started the study in the first place, and I think I mentioned that in the first segment of the study, I think. But, you know, as for whether or not homosexuality is genetic, uh, be sure to listen to all of the lessons on homosexuality, because that is a question that I addressed a couple times, actually. And one of the questions that I addressed was um, about whether animals practicing gay behavior or homosexual behavior means it's okay for people people to practice homosexual behavior. And I know that that's one argument that people use a lot, but it's, you know, it's a really bad argument. Uh, you know, the whole genetic argument is really, really poor. There's no foundation for it. So, you know, if people thought about what they're saying, they'd know that it was a bad argument as well. But definitely listen to the, the first Q&A lesson from 
this month and listen to the other homosexual lessons as well. I do want to make one note, though. Um, It's important to note that God doesn't make people do anything. God created us to be free to choose, which means that we have the right to choose or reject his love. And it also means that we can choose to sin or choose not to sin. And that's how evil comes into the world. That's how bad things come into the world, because we have this choice. So as for the return of of Jesus and the timing of it and everything of the rapture, uh, I think it sounds like you've got a pretty good game plan lined up already from what I can tell. You know, the reason that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, if, if you read the first and second letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, it's because, you know, they thought that Jesus had already come back. People were saying that Jesus had already come back. And what Paul told them was to keep living their lives, but keep themselves ready for Jesus to come back. And I think that's some pretty good advice that Paul gave them. And so I'd encourage you to do the same thing. You know, live your life and always be ready for Jesus to come back. Jesus did teach us that there's no marriage in heaven, though. You know, and you can you can find that in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. But that's because we're going to be so overwhelmed with love for Jesus when we're in heaven. After all, you know, Christians are called the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And that's a figure of speech, but hopefully that makes a little bit of sense for you. And hopefully that answers both of your questions that you kind of asked there about homosexuality and about the rapture. But again, Rachel, thank you so much for emailing me. And if you need any clarification, you can email me again. My email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And any of you who have any questions, you can email me at that address. But, you know, I get really excited and I feel like it's uh, it's really a blessing to know that there are Christian youth out there who are interested in apologetics and studying the Bible. So God bless you, Rachel. Thank you for sending that in. And actually, you know, that's one of the reasons I went to seminary to study apologetics is because... Uh, I want the the youth of today, you know, the, the Christian youth today, to have the answers that just weren't available to me when I was, you know, a, a youth. And, you know, maybe I would have come to faith sooner, but, you know, praise the Lord, things worked out for me. I, I found him, and I received the free gift of salvation. But that was only because I found a pastor who could really sit down with me and, and talk about the questions that I had. So it gets me uh, pretty pumped up to know that the uh, that there are Christian youth who are listening to me. So anyway, let's go on to our last question, Christina. Our last question today comes from Yemi. Yemi writes, My question is about divine election. Can you please clarify what it is and whether you believe in it? If you do, my question is, Why then does God choose some people to go to hell? I know we are all sinners, but some were and are saved by grace, while others are not, according to what I think divine election is. Okay, thank you for the question, Yemi. Uh, Well, you know, there are a lot of people out there whom I would refer to as hyper-Calvinists, who hold that God has foreordained some to be his children, or to be, quote-unquote, the elect, and that's what divine election is, and then he determined, or foreordained, that some would go to hell. And actually, in our first question, I think it was that I uh, I'd referred to hyper-Calvinism. Well, let's talk about what that is. The typical hyper-Calvinist asserts that mankind is totally 
depraved. I mean, so depraved that they are incapable of seeking God without God first enabling them to do so, which he doesn't do for everyone, according to the hyper-Calvinists. They also hold that people are elected by God, uh, that divine election comes by God unconditionally. In other words, God forces them to be his children. It's not because they freely choose to believe in him. Uh, Third, they hold that the atonement of Christ is limited. That is, it's not sufficient to be applied to absolutely everyone. Uh, Fourth, they hold that God forces his grace upon the elect. And again, you know, they don't choose to receive it. They are forced to receive God's grace. And finally, fifth, they hold that the saints will persevere in their faith until they die. And you can remember actually all of these points with the acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. That is T for total depravity, U for unconditional election, L for limited atonement, I for irresistible grace, and P for perseverance of the saints. And actually, you know, to be honest with you, none of these concepts are biblical whatsoever. You know, as I pointed out in one of our early lessons in Romans, you know, those who hold these beliefs refer to themselves as Calvinists, and not even Calvin himself believed in these things. And that's why I refer to them as hyper Calvinists. So, anyway, let's talk about the biblical reasons that I reject this position. Well, first of all, uh, most of these things that that I've listed off here, uh, most of it's based on a poor understanding of Romans chapter 8, verse 29, which says, for those whom he, that is God, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Well, this verse does not mean that God only chose a select or elect few people. It means that God, because he knows from all of eternity what a person will freely choose to do, uh, God elects them in accordance with his foreknowledge, not based on his foreknowledge. There's a significant difference. And I mean, if you think about it, there is no before and after for God. This is an anthropomorphism, and that's a that's a mouthful. Try saying that fast five times. But uh, he has, his foreknowledge is based on his perception of the past, present, and future all in one eternal now. So uh, you have to take that into consideration too. But anyway, then, uh, you know, in Second in Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we read, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. And, and get this, this is, the, this is the most important part. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all, but for all to come to repentance. You know, no hyper-Calvinist can honestly give an accurate interpretation of this verse without giving up their own position. Uh, of hyper-Calvinism. You know, and then again, we read in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, where Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, and this is the important part, even denying the master who bought them even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So, yes, Jesus bought those who reject him, and, you know, he did so with his blood, but they denied him, and they brought destruction upon themselves. So, again, you know, no hyper-Calvinist 
can look at this verse, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and give an honest or an accurate interpretation of this passage without giving up their own position that the blood of Jesus was never meant to cover everyone. You know, that's the hyper-Calvinist position. But this verse, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, teaches us that the blood of Christ is indeed sufficient. But unless a person accepts the free gift of salvation through faith in Christ, it's not efficient. So it's sufficient, but not efficient. But, uh, you know, the the other problem with the hyper-Calvinist position is that it is not far away from universalism. Universalism says that everybody is going to heaven. And this is something that we all know is not true. But how far away from uh, from universalism is hyper-Calvinism? Well, all the universalists has done is they've taken the, the premise that God loves everyone and they've plugged that into hyper-Calvinism. So if you plug the fact that God is love into hyper-Calvinism, you get that God is going to uh, save absolutely everybody, you know, whether they want to or not. People are going to be dragged kicking and screaming through the gates of heaven, you know, whether they like it or not. And one other thing that I want to bring up is that, you know, if if God forechose the elect, if he foreordained the elect, you know, and that they were they were elected arbitrarily, you know, just because he wanted to choose them, then why did Jesus teach a message of repentance? Why did he teach them about, you know, avoiding hell, you know, avoiding sin? Well, you know, if God was going to force his grace upon the, uh, you know, his his children, then there was no need for Jesus to even talk about that. So, you know, in my opinion, the, the hyper-Calvinist position, you know, it's it's really just garbage. I don't believe in divine election the same way a hyper-Calvinist believes in divine election. I believe that God knows in advance who's going to choose him and who's going to reject him. And based on that, uh, he elects people. So anyway, I hope that answers your question, Yemi. Uh, but, you know, it, the just is divine election is in accordance with God's foreknowledge, but it isn't determined by his foreknowledge. I hope that helps. But if you need clarification, you know, again, you can email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And thank you guys for all your questions today. Again, you know, I hope this makes up for Monday's lesson. And thank you, Christina, for filling in as my designated reader. I appreciate that. And I hope you guys all have a great weekend. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right hand side you can make a tax deductible donation from there by doing so you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who just like yourself desire to find answers and meaning in scripture we thank you for listening today and we pray that the lord blesses you and draws you closer to him keep growing closer to jesus